Welcome to Your Torah, a 36-week journey into the world of the 63 books of the Mishnah, 18 minutes at a time. A project of Jofa UK, designed as a special invitation to engage in Torah and make it yours. If you'd like to sponsor or dedicate an episode of Your Torah, please get in touch via our website, which can be found at ukjofa.org. My name is Dr. Rachel Levmore. I am a rabbinical court advocate representing litigants in the Israeli rabbinical courts in their divorce cases. As such, I will be speaking about Masechet Gitin, the tractate of Jewish divorce within the Mishnah. It is the sixth tractate out of seven tractates of Seder Nashim, of the book of the Mishnah that deals with women. The tractate of Jewish divorce includes nine chapters. It speaks about the arrangement of a Jewish divorce, mostly in terms of the technicalities. In order to be valid, the get, the writ of Jewish divorce, must be written and the ceremony arranged exactly according to the requirements discussed in the tractate. Besides the technicalities, there are certain subtle themes that appear in the tractate. One of those themes that appears throughout the fifth chapter out of nine is tikkun olam. It's a leading term. Tikkun olam means rectifying the world, maintaining social order. Not only in reference to divorce is tikkun olam mentioned, but also many other matters. In fact, it's mentioned 14 times. The phrase tikkun olam is carried through that chapter. Now, tikkun olam regarding divorce is crucial. For in ancient times, in the patriarchal societies that existed then, a man could divorce a wife by just sending her out of the house without any documentation. Lacking documentation, one cannot know for sure who is single and marriageable or who is a married woman. The family structure can easily be compromised. Thus, Jewish law comes to assure that a divorce is arranged through a writ being delivered from the husband to the wife. Hence, the many technical details in the tractate. When studying our ancient legal sources, we first must turn to the source of the law at hand in the Bible. The verses in the Bible that deal with the divorce appear in Deuteronomy, Devarim, the 24th chapter, verses 1 to 2. I quote, in Hebrew, Ki ikach ish isha uv'ala, I read the translation from Everett Fox's translation in the Shokin Bible. When a man takes in marriage a woman and espouses her, and it happens, if she does not find favor in his eyes, for he finds in her something of nakedness or defect, he may write for her a document of cutoff, divorcement. He is to place it in her hand and thus send her away from his household. Now when she goes out from his house, she goes and becomes another man's. Here's a question on the biblical depiction of divorce. Who is the subject and who is the object? Who is the active participant and who is the passive participant? Who takes the initiative and who is not even insulted? The answer is clear. The man is the subject versus the woman. 
The woman is the object. The man is active. The woman is passive. The man takes the initiative, and the woman is not even consulted. This brings us to one of the Mishnahs, which is more philosophical, that discusses when is it acceptable for a husband to divorce his wife. It discusses the question from the man's point of view due to the stance in the Bible. Nevertheless, the Mishnah asks in general under what conditions in the relationship would the rabbis of the Mishnah agree that it is the correct course of action to break up the family unit. The Mishnah at hand demonstrates a three-way dispute based on three different schools of thought. The Mishnah we're going to be studying is, as we said in the Tractate of Gitin, the ninth chapter, the tenth Mishnah. It is a three-way dispute, as I said. In English, it starts like this. The school of Shammai say, a man may not divorce his wife unless he has found in her an act improper, as it is said, because he hath found some unseemly thing in her, a defect. Let's stop here after the first opinion. What is common to all three opinions is the beginning of the sentence of what the school of Shammai say. The beginning of the sentence states clearly, a man may not divorce his wife unless, meaning that we don't want to see marriages end up in divorce in Israel. It's preferable to have a whole family unit, and it is preferable not to go for divorce. So the rabbinical court of the school of Shammai says, a man may not divorce his wife, but it's not a Catholic marriage. There are instances when a divorce is in order. So here comes the word, unless. What has the school of Shammai said is the proper grounds for divorce? He has found in her an act improper, and they base it on the part of the verse in the Bible that says, because he has found some unseemly thing in her. The language in Hebrew, which we did read, was ervat davar, kimatsava ervat davar. Now, the phrase ervat davar can be considered a code word under certain circumstances of improper behavior within the realm of intimate relations. In other words, the school of Shammai say, a man in general should not divorce his wife. However, if she has betrayed him and engaged in intimate relations with another man, then he indeed can divorce his wife. Those are good enough grounds for divorce. We're continuing with the second school of thought. But the school of Hillel say, even if she spoiled a dish for him, as it is said, because he hath found some unseemly thing in her. The school of Hillel takes the same phrase from the verse, but interprets it differently. There's a fault there. What did she do? She spoiled the dish for him. And that is enough for the school of Hillel to say, those are grounds for divorce. You can divorce your wife if you seek to do so, if she spoiled a dish for you. Wait, wait, let's stop for a minute. That doesn't sound too reasonable to our ears, but there's something deeper hiding here. 
Let's think about it for a minute. This was written 2,000 years ago. 2,000 years ago, the roles of men and women in a marriage were much more clearly defined. If you will, they each had their own department. The man was the breadwinner. They lived in an agrarian society in the land of Israel. He would wake up and leave the house at dawn and come back at sunset while he was tilling the land, which was very difficult work. In that manner, he would grow the sustenance which the family needed. The woman's role was to give him support in the household to do the cooking and the laundry, etc., raise the children, the young children. And it was her job to provide food for him. Now, if you think about a, uh, a big uh, corporation that has many different departments and it manufactures something, if the computer department doesn't do its job properly, if the high-tech guys, the computer guys, don't fix your computers when you need them fixed, the whole company grinds to a halt. The manufacturing process is stopped. Everything falls apart. Similarly, if the woman did not provide edible sustenance for the man, he would not have the energy to be able to go out in the morning, early in the morning, and work all day to provide the sustenance for the entire family. The entire mechanism breaks down. Even more so, this can be a sign that the relationship broke down. For if she gave him inedible food on purpose, if she burnt his dish intentionally, she was reaching out in a manner, in a negative manner, in the department of which she was in charge. They were already having an irreconcilable type of relationship where they were arguing, and she chose to vent her anger on him in the way that she could in the department in which she had power. So the school of Hillel say if she spoiled a dish for him with that in the background, then he can divorce her. The third opinion, Rabbi Akiva says something even different. He states, even if he found another more beautiful than she, as it is said, then it cometh to pass if she find no favor in his eyes. Rabbi Akiva took a different section of the verse. He didn't concentrate on the same phrase, ervat devar, as the first two schools of thought. He concentrated on a separate section, if it cometh to pass, that she find no favor in his eyes. That sounds a little strange. However, Rabbi Akiva's philosophy is as such. If a man has eyes for another woman, it is a sign that he does not love his wife any longer, because he shouldn't have eyes for another woman if he truly loves and respects his wife. And Rabbi Akiva says, I don't want it to reach the point where they have irreconcilable differences and they are fighting all the time, and I certainly don't want to reach the point where she may betray him and find another man with whom to have intimate relations. So Rabbi Akiva says, if that's the case, then we will allow a divorce to take place with this couple. Again, the point of the dissension is what are the situation, what are the circumstances in which we will allow a divorce? What situation justifies divorce? But the question really is what is the underlying difference of approach between the two groups? There are two groups in these three opinions. 
do we require divorce that is based on fault or do we accept no fault divorce? The first two schools of thought say there must be fault on the part of the woman in order for the man to be able to divorce the woman. Rabbi Akiva, the third opinion, says no. He is actually the creator of modern society's approach to no-fault divorce. Although this is a philosophical question of approach to marriage and divorce, you will note that a Jewish divorce, according to biblical law, is valid only when the husband gives the wife the get out of his own free will. As you can see in a different tractate in Yevamot, in the Mishnah, it says the divorcing man is not similar to the divorcing woman, that a man leaves the marriage by divorce only according to his free will. A woman can be made to leave the marriage either in accordance with her will or not with her will. And that is the situation in basic Jewish law. Today, however, according to rabbinic law, a woman also has to give her agreement to the divorce and the marriage, which brings us to a situation that either of the couple can say, I don't want a divorce, and then there won't be a divorce. The situation is much worse when it is the woman who is a victim of get refusal. In fact, the chief rabbi of Haifa, Rabbi Sha'ar Yeshuv Kohn, may his memory be a blessing, described the problem of a woman being refused a divorce as the problem of the generation. It is a problem known in English as the Aguna problem, which brings us back to Tikkun Olam. We have to fix this problem. How can we fix this problem and we will bring a tikkun olam of societal rectification to the Jewish society, to all women who marry under the orthodox auspices? They can become victims of get refusal. Number one, rabbinical courts have to take the power back into their own hands. They have to remove the power in a halachic manner. According to Jewish law, they have to find a way to remove the power from the man's hands and take it back into their own hands so that they will have the power to dissolve the marriage. Number two, in this age of autonomy, and until the rabbinical courts do take the power back into their own hands, the people should also take the power into their own hands, and they can do so by having every marrying couple sign a prenuptial agreement for the prevention of get refusal. You can read about it in the International Young Israel Movement's webpage. That's iyim.org.il and click on prenuptial agreements. And you will see that there are prenuptial agreements in complete accordance with Jewish law, You can provide an incentive for both the husband and the wife not to refuse a divorce. In England, the London Bestin is now reviewing its prenuptial agreement and thinking about making one that is more effective, that is stronger. I urge any listeners to this brief lesson to contact the London Bestin and ask, how is this going along, that you are concerned for yourselves and your daughters and generally the daughters of Israel who get married in accordance with orthodox law, that they should be provided strong protection and not become an aguna in the future. I wish all listeners happy lives, happy married lives, and the strength to empower yourselves
to protect yourselves and to protect your daughters. This episode of Your Torah is brought to you by Jofa UK. In collaboration with women from around the world who all share a passion for Torah study. If you are enjoying your Torah, consider sponsoring an episode. Find out more by visiting ukjova.org. Join the conversation on social media using the hashtag YourTorah.